Today in our verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Luke, we, are, we come to the very packed and important 22nd chapter of the book of Luke. We are going to take communion on a weekend, a Saturday night and a Sunday morning as we see Jesus taking communion with his disciples in this chapter. It opens up with Judas making plans to betray Jesus and it finishes with Jesus arrested, beaten, and standing before the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling government of, of Israel, of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. And so it's a very important point in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Today we will be covering the first six verses that's entitled, what, uh, take, Judas takes his first step to betraying Jesus or to betray Jesus. And the short title is, what was Judas thinking? What was going on in his mind? Why did he think it was okay to plan to betray Jesus? This has been the question for books. It's been a question for many that have sought what exactly was going on with Judas. But there's a lot that we hear in Scripture. We aren't just given a little bit about Judas in Scripture. We're given a lot about him. So we can put a lot of things that we don't know to rest. And then we can speculate on, on some other parts of it. One of the things that's really important to us is that the disciples didn't think he was the betrayer. When you watch a movie that has Jesus in it and Judas, you can almost always tell who Judas is. He's the one in the black robe while everybody else is in white robes. He's the one that has some shadow and hood on in the back and he's looking. And if you have a goatee, uh, you know, uh, little facial hair thing, I'm not talking about you, but he always has a little goatee. You know, everybody else has these nice Jewish beards and here's Judas, you know, looking kind of sinister. But when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, one of you sitting at the table and betraying me, they all didn't go, Judas, that's who it is. They went, is it me? Lord, is it me? One by one, the Bible tells us, they, they said to the Lord, is it me? Which tells us, I think that that's a good heart. These are the disciples that had a good heart that were worried. Could it be me? They were not overconfident. They were like, not me. Now, when Peter was told that he was going to deny him, Peter said, not me. And that led him to be overconfident and end up denying Jesus. And we will be talking about that. But as I said, there's a lot of information about Judas. Let's do this. First of all, let's read our text. And in fact, let me cover the text. I want to cover it. I don't just want to read it. I want to cover it. Then I want to look at what the Old Testament has to say about Judas. Then I want to look at, at five or six things that the Bible tells us in the New Testament about him so we can evaluate where we are that we might be able to say like the disciples, which I think was a healthy thing, Lord, is it me? I'm not saying that you're not confident about your salvation. I'm just saying it's good for us to evaluate sometimes and say, am I in the right place? Do I need to make some kind of a change? So let's pick it up in verse one of Luke 22. It says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. There are seven feasts every year that the, the Jews celebrate. It's interesting. There was not a day of fasting. The Bible said call a day of fasting, but there wasn't a, a mandatory yearly fasting, but there were seven feast days. God wanted them to celebrate. And four of them are put together in the spring and, four, and three of them are put together in the fall. Let's just talk about the spring feast now. We'll talk about the fall feast at another point. 
But the, the fall feasts were, first of all, Passover, which took place on the 14th of Nisan. It was a Sabbath day as well, but it could fall on a Thursday. It could fall on any day because remember, the Jewish calendar is not the secular calendar where every day falls on the same day. It, it is a floating calendar set by the sun and the moon. And I'll, I'll tell you, today I tried to look at, I thought, maybe I'll explain how the Jewish calendar is developed. And I did some reading on it and went, I don't think I'm smart enough to figure it out. But uh, it is set by the sun and the moon, uh, the heavenly stars. And the 14th, their calendar is, and on the 14th of Nisan, they have Passover. And that is celebrating when Moses led them out of Israel by a mighty hand. And on the last night, the death angel passed by, killed all the firstborn. And if you killed the lamb, which Jesus is our Passover lamb, rubbed its blood around your door, then the death angel would see the blood and pass over. And it is a sign of our salvation from, from Jesus. He sees the blood of Christ applied to us and the death angel passes over. Now it says here that it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You have the Passover on the, the 14th of Nisan and then seven days after that, you have the Passover bread feast. It's a seven day feast in which you don't eat any leaven. Leaven in the Old Testament as well is a type of sin. So it's the idea of getting sin out of your lives. And so they would just eat unleavened bread for seven days. And then the next day, I'm pretty sure, was the Feast of First Fruits. So that's after the seven days was the Feast of First, Fruit, First Fruits. And I say I'm pretty sure because I got a couple of different things as I was looking it up. And I know I'm going to be talking about this and there's going to be a Jewish person here who's going to go, oh man, boy, did he really mess that up? which I wish I would have just had somebody I could have called. And yeah, I probably could have, should have thought about that. But anyway, so this is the time that Jesus was crucified. In fact, the Bible will tell us in John that he was hanging on the cross the day that they were killing the Passover lamb. At the time they were killing the Passover lamb, he was dying on the cross for us as our Passover lamb. So they've come to Jerusalem. They've come all of this way. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is drawing near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Now, chapter 21 gives us an interruption in the flow of what's taking place. You remember that, and that's not to say chapter 21 is bad. That's when Jesus sat on Mount Olivet and talked about the last days to his disciples. But you remember right before that, chapter 20 is full of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, uh, uh, having encounters, difficulties, confrontations with Jesus. And they ask him a bunch of questions and then Jesus turns around and asks them a question. And at the end of it, they just want to kill him. This is it. They're, they want to get rid of him. And so now we pick it back up again. It's the day before Passover. They don't want Jesus around anymore. They don't want to deal with him. We'll talk more about that when we get the, the religious leaders giving their case before Pilate. It says, for they feared the people. So the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. They were afraid to take him because the people loved him. Why? Because Jesus was compassionate. He was caring. He had authority. He, he loved sinners. And they, if they took him publicly, they feared that there would be a riot. There had been riots in Israel during the time of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate had dealt with them severely. They did not want another riot. And so they thought how they could do it. And then it says, then Satan 
entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot. He's one of the only disciples that we have the identifying name with it, Judas Iscariot. It tells us where he's from. And this tells us how popular the name Judas was in their day. Jesus has a half-brother by the name of Judas who wrote the book of Jude that is in the Bible. There were only 18, there was 18 very common names in the first century in Israel. You would have other names that people were named, but there were very common names and most people named their kids Joseph, Judas, James, um, Jesus, Joshua was a very popular name. These were all very popular. It's kind of like when I was a kid and people named their children Tom and Mike and Steve and Robert. That's not what happens today. I don't remember the last time I dedicated a Tom to the Lord. <laughs> I, I always have to kind of get the name and then talk. I come out and talk to them beforehand, make sure I've got the names right. Both of the parents, too, by the way, sometimes and the kids, because I read them and go, I better go make sure I, I get these these words right. Now, the Maccabean revolt had a priest by the name of Judas Maccabean. And because of that, there were a lot of Judases during the days of Jesus. And so Judas Iscariot is from an, that's just um, a man from the area of Cariot. Ish is man. Ishkariot, the man from Cariot, okay? And so that's the, the name. I, I, I go on about that because there are those that believe that it's talking about him being an assassin, that he was a trained assassin, but that's not true. So scholars have verified that it's talking about where he's from, a place called Cariot, and that he's the man of Cariot, all right? Who's numbered, he was numbered among the 12. Now, this is really important. He was numbered among the 12. So when we start talking about evaluating ourselves based on the life of Judas, we might go, I'm here in church. I go to church. And I would say the fact that he was numbered among the 12, meaning when Jesus sent them out and gave them power over demonic spirits, Judas had power over demonic spirits. And Judas did miracles the same way the rest of the 12 did when they went out and preached the gospel as well. He had power. And we were talking about it in the green room. There's the passage that says, some are going to say to Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And Jesus is going to say, away from me, I never knew you. And I never thought about it, but that applies to Judas. Judas did miracles and cast out demons and he did not know Christ. I always think, did the people think that they did it? Is it possible that someone who doesn't really know Jesus may be able to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus? Can they do a miracle? Can they pray and have a miracle given to them when they're not a Christian? Those are still questions that I have. Nevertheless, here's a guy numbered among the 12. And so I would say that this evaluation that we're talking about tonight and that God has placed Judas here for this reason. Ray Comfort, who is a Calvary Chapel pastor, he does a lot of videos called Living Water Ministry. Ray Comfort says that Judas is his favorite disciple. You don't hear that very much, by the way. My favorite disciple is Judas. And he says, because it will make you evaluate whether or not you're really walking with Christ. I would say the fact that Judas is numbered among the 12 would make every pastor evaluate whether they are doing what they are doing 
for the right or wrong motives. Could you be pastoring and not genuinely be saved? Could you be pastoring effectively and not genuinely be saved? And I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say everyone has to evaluate who they are. If the 12, one of the 12 could be possessed by Satan, meaning that they do not have a relationship with Christ, because I'm going to say that the other 12 couldn't have been possessed by Satan. I certainly know today that Christians can't be possessed by Satan. It means he didn't know God and he didn't believe in him. We do know that he did not believe in him. And I'll get to that verse a little bit later on. So he is numbered among the 12. Every time the disciples are listed, Peter is at the top and Judas is at the bottom every single time throughout all of the Gospels. So that means he was a disciple. He was one of the apostles. In the book of Acts, he has to be replaced. They talk about replacing him because he's an apostle that has to be replaced. He was numbered among the 12, meaning that whatever you might be saying in your mind so far, whatever you might be saying, I don't need to listen to this. I don't need to check into this Bible study because I know I'm okay because of this, that you need to come back in. You need to focus in, have a heart here in the beginning of this to say, I want to really evaluate because the last thing you want is to be self-deceived. And the Bible says that we can deceive ourselves. The last thing you want is to be caught up in the deceitfulness of sin. And if sin is deceitful, and we can be self-deceived, then what makes us think that we might not be deceived? So we want to evaluate. This is not trying to convince anybody that they're not really saved, because I'm going to get accused of that, that I, I'm taking away people's security in Christ. I'm not. I just want to make sure you have security in Christ. That's all. I believe in security. And I'll explain that here in a moment in one of our passages. I believe in security, the security of the believer. But you got to make sure you're in Christ. And that's okay to say, I want to make sure I'm in him and have that confidence. It goes on to say he was numbered among the 12. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray them. He had to make his way to the chief priest, go see the captains. That's the guard. Talk to the guard first, right? We have to, in order to get to the chief priest, I've talked to the captains, talk to the guard. I'm here. I want to talk about, I'm one, I'm one of his apostles. I want to talk about betraying him. So now he's saying it out loud. It says then that he, they might betray them. And they were glad. When they heard Judas, they were like, this is an answer to prayer. We've been looking for a way to get him privately. Now we have someone on the inside that can come to us and tell us where he's at privately so we can arrest him, which is exactly what happens. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas leaves the upper room to go and inform them where Jesus is going to be. Judas will show up with a guard and will betray Jesus with a kiss. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray them in the absence of the multitude. Now, other passages that talk about this particular meeting, they at least set the price. They at least said, we, we want 30 pieces of silver. They may have given him the money at this meeting, but at least they talked about the price from other, uh, from parallel passages. So let's talk about what the Bible tells us about Judas in the Old Testament. These are Old Testament passages. I'm going to give you three of them. Each one of these has a statement in the New Testament that says this was spoken of Judas. This is so that what took place 
to with his betrayer would come true. So the New Testament confers that all three of these are talking about Judas. This isn't a guess. This isn't like, well, that's what Judas did and this Old Testament talked about it. This is the Bible telling us that these passages were foretold about him in the Old Testament. And if they're foretold, then what does that mean? Let's get into it. We'll get into that. I'm asking my own questions before I get there. Psalms 41, 49 says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now, this passage, which we're told in the New Testament is a fulfillment of Judas, is also has a, a dual meaning, a near and a far fulfillment, a dual fulfillment. I think that's the best way to say that. We, we kind of wonder about how, what, how exactly we talk about these prophecies that have a fulfillment right away and then a fulfillment in the future. But the Bible does do that. It has a pre-fulfillment and then the fulfillment. And so this is said by David when Ahithophel, who is his close friend, Ahithophel is his counselor. Ahithophel's, I'm trying to think of it was his granddaughter. Ahithophel was related to Bathsheba. And you wonder about the betrayal of Ahithophel to David, whether or not it's connected to what David did to one of his family members. So Ahithophel is his counselor. He's close to him. He's his friend. And when Absalom rebels against David, remember that David had several wives. We don't know how many exactly, 14 wives or so. And some might think, well, if David could have 14 wives, then why is it bad to have that many wives today? Well, you need to study the life of, of anybody in the Bible that had more than one wife to understand it. Besides that, exam examples of what people do is not justification. So the Bible says, for this reason, Jesus said, for this reason, a man and a woman will leave a father and mother, the father and mother, and they will cleave together and they will become one flesh. Talking about the sexual union of becoming one flesh. He didn't say a man and six women, 14 women will leave their fathers and mothers and they will come together and become one. It ruins the whole picture because how is 15 people one? So David had a very beautiful daughter, Tamra, and Amnon, one of his, and, and Tamra was uh, the sister of Absalom. And Absalom, by the way, the Bible says, was beautiful from head, the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I don't know what that means when talking about a man, but he must have been a pretty good looking guy <laughs> for the Bible to say something like that. And Tamra was beautiful too. And Amnon wanted her. And he, he faked being sick. And he asked his dad to send her in and he raped her. And when the dad found, when David found out, now, now you've got two half-sisters, right? Half-sisters, half-brothers. And when David found out, he didn't do anything. And so Absalom took it into his own hand and he killed Amnon. And Absalom had a complete disrespect for his dad. And so the Bible says that Absalom stood out by the city gate. And when the people came in, he said to them, my father's busy. Let me judge between you. And he won the hearts of the people. And he drove David out of the city. There was a successful coup. He drove David out of the city and Ahithophel became the counselor to Absalom. And it was Ahithophel's counsel that made the coup effective because he was a great counselor, but he was a close friend to David. Now, the rest of the story is, is that they kill Absalom. Absalom's in a chariot. They get him pinned. 
he's fleeing. He's got, when his hair was cut, it says it was seven pounds. I don't know what seven pounds of hair would look like, but he should have cut it more often than that. And his hair got caught in a thicket and he was hanging by his hair in a thicket. And all the king's men got out and stabbed him at the same time because one of them didn't want to kill the king's son. So they all got out and they killed him. The, uh, so that's the backstory to this. And then David, heartbroken over Ahithophel and Absalom, writes, even my own familiar friend who I trusted, whom ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And I want you to think about that lifting your heel against me. What are you doing when you lift your heel against somebody? What is the motion that you have to do to be able to lift your heel against somebody? What, what kind of damage are you trying to do when you lift your heel? If, if David would have said, he has slapped me, we would know what that was. When someone lifts their heel, they are wanting to kill you. If someone is, is picking up their foot and stomping it down on you, they're wanting to do severe damage. So he's saying, even my familiar friend who I trusted, who ate bread at my table, has lifted up his heel against me. That's exactly what Judas did. Now, this tells us something about Judas. He was a friend to Jesus. He was a familiar friend. Jesus loved him. They got along well. They liked each other. They were familiar friends. And he trusted him. And of course, he gives them the bread at the Last Supper to identify that Judas is the one and says, go do what you must do quickly. They thought Judas, because he kept the money box, was going to buy something, but he was actually leaving now to go and betray Jesus. The second passage that tells us something about Judas in the Old Testament is, is in um, Zechariah 11, 12 through 13. Then I said to him, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, if not refrain. So they weighed out for me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price that they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Now, the way it plays out in the New Testament is told through several stories. And we're told that this particular passage is the fulfillment of what happened to Judas. We know that he got 30 pieces of silver. We know that he betrayed Jesus. He probably was with the high priest the night Jesus was, was beaten and arrested and then condemned to death. Because they say to Jesus, are you the son of God? He says, it's as you say, but from here on out, you will see the son of man coming in the clouds of glory. They know that's a statement of divinity. And so they cry out blasphemy. They condemn him to death. Now they've got to get him to Pilate and convince Pilate. When Judas hears that they've condemned him to death, he has remorse. Now, there's a word for repentance. And it's closely connected to remorse. He does not have repentance, but he's sorry that he did it. And he takes the money back to the priests and he says, take this money from me. And they won't do it here. They're willing to kill a man, but they can't take the money from from blood back into their treasury. That's blood money. We can't put it in the treasury. Sorry, we're going to go murder him, but we can't take the money back in. At least they had a line somewhere they would draw. It was just at the most bizarre place. And you wonder if, if religion doesn't do that to us, where we draw lines in the wrong place. 
And understand that I'm making a distinction between being religious and really being in a relationship with Christ. That you could be religious and end up drawing the lines in the wrong place. And so he throws the money back at him. Now, what this tells us and helps us, well, oh, so they won't take the money. And so he throws it into the temple. They gather the money together. They don't know what to do with it. So they go out and buy the field that Judas hung himself on. Now, we also know from two different accounts, one in Acts and one in the Gospels, that Judas hung himself. The other person in the Bible that hung themselves, Ahithophel. There's uh, several others, Saul and Saul's armor bearer committed suicide. But the two people that hung themselves with a rope, like thinking of hanging today, were Ahithophel and Judas. Both of them really doing the same thing, Judas to the Messiah. And, um, but he has remorse. Now, here's the thing. If Peter denies Jesus, goes outside and weeps bitterly, believes he'll never be a disciple again, and I'm going to make that case when we get there, but Jesus forgives him and restores him. Then had Judas been a genuine disciple who for a moment got greedy, then he could have repented and been forgiven. Even this, this is not the unforgivable sin. This could have been forgiven. He had remorse. What's the difference between remorse and repentance? Remorse is when you wish you wouldn't have done it. Repentance is when you wouldn't do it if you could again. That's the difference. So sometimes something happens and you're like, I wish I never did it. But if the opportunity arose again, you would do it. That's remorse and not repentance. I'm sorry this happened. When I get pulled over by the police officer, I'm not sorry I was speeding. I'm sorry I got pulled over. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of life. It is the actual action of changing that is repentance. Remorse is often connected to it. So don't think just because you have remorse, it's not repentance because it could be. You could be really remorseful that you did what you did and genuinely say to God, I will not do this again and have that change in your life that is true repentance. And Judas could have had that. But instead, he took his life. And I want to say, just dealing with suicide briefly, if you are listening to this and you are thinking of taking your own life, then, then stop now and get help. Stop now. Realize the answer for whatever it is that you're facing is to deal with it or the depression that you're going through. The answer is to surrender your life to Christ. In a way, it is death, but it's not you killing yourself. It's you dying to yourself. If, if you are really in the place where you say, I hate life and I don't want to live anymore, then come to Christ. Then say, here's my life. I will now live for you. And know that if you take your life, you're going to crush the lives of all of those around you. And if you're taking your life in order to hurt them, then understand how wicked that is. What, what a wicked thing to do. And I'll say it again. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide, let us help you. We want, we want to help you. We want the church to be a safe place for you to, to deal with the things you're generally struggling with. If you're, you're struggling with depression, you don't have to put on an act like you're never depressed. 
talk, talk to us. We'll help you. And if, we, if, it, if it's above our head, which certain things are, then we'll get you connected to somebody that can help you. To a, to a therapist, a, a psychologist, Christian psychologist, biblical psychologist, who will be able to help you. Because there are people that are trained in these things. If your marriage is a mess, and you don't, just don't know what to do, and you're acting like your marriage is perfect, we want to help you. And it's not the only place you can get help, right? Your church isn't the only place you can get help, but your church should be a place that you come to get help. And oftentimes it's a place where we think, I can't act like I got a problem because then how are they, they're going to judge me. And I just want you to know we're not going to judge you. All right, we won't judge you. Why? Because we've had problems ourselves. There's not a person that's on staff that has had problems themselves. So we will not judge you. We want it to be a safe place for you. Judas did not have to kill himself. But there was a potter's field bought. Uh, there's a discrepancy in the Gospels. It says he hung himself. In, in Acts 1, it's, uh, Peter's retelling the story, and he says that he fell headlong and his gut spilled out. And so people say, well, which one is it? Here's a discrepancy in the Bible. I don't think it's a discrepancy. And I'm being serious with this point, by the way, because I've said this before and people have laughed like I'm telling a joke. I'm not. I think Judas hung himself and whether he did it out over a cliff, whatever, you've, you've got to hang yourself high enough to be able to, to jump off of something to let the weight of your body hang you. And so he hung himself using some tree or something. Maybe it, Jerusalem is full of rocky areas where this could happen. Maybe he was there for a few days, kind of bloated. The branch broke and he fell and his gut spilled out. He, he opened. If you read it the other way, it doesn't make sense that Judas fell and his guts fell out. He, he fell over and exploded. That doesn't make sense. There has to be something else. There has to be more to the story. And I think Peter assumed everybody there understood as he was telling the story what happened to him. And then they took the money, they bought that field, and it was a place where it became a potter's field, a place where they buried people who, they, who were so poor they couldn't be buried. All right? So I thought this was going to be a shorter sermon. I got to hurry up. Uh, Psalms 109.8 um, is another place where it talks about Judas. In the, in the Old Testament and it's confirmed in the New Testament. It says, let his days be few and let another take his office. Again, this is a reminder that he was numbered among the 12, that he had a very high office that had great potential that was thrown away by him for several reasons. Now, by looking at what the New Testament tells us about Judas, we can start putting the pieces together with what happened to him. The first thing that we learn about him is that he is greedy Judas was greedy. In Luke 22, 4 and 5, it says, So he went and confirmed with the chief priests and captains, this is our text, how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. He wanted money. The Bible also tells us, we're going to see in a moment, that he was a thief and he used to take money from the box. So he thought money could do in his life something that money cannot do. He had the Messiah, saw the miracles, saw Jesus walking on the water. We were not told any of the disciples were absent during that, saw these things and still thought more money could help him. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some have been shipwrecked in their faith because of it. If you are greedy for money, if you are not content with what God's given you, then you could become shipwrecked in your faith because you're always thinking, the problem is I need more money. 
The problem is I have to get more money. That's going to help everything. You realize that more money won't help you. And the Bible says that if anybody is teaching a godliness as a means of financial gain, withdraw yourself from them. That's all the prosperity teachers that tell you the more godly you are, the richer you can be. Get away from them. And then it says, with godliness and contentment, there is great gain. So if you go, the real answer in my life is living for Jesus. Whether I have more money tomorrow than today doesn't matter. He's taking care of me. So Judas was greedy. And I got to think that that shipwreck in your faith was connected to him taking money out. The second thing that we see is connected to this. He was a thief. It says in John 12, five through six, and, and uh, this is where Mary, the sister of Martha, anoints the feet of Jesus with a very expensive perfume. There are a couple other accounts where a woman anoints the feet of Jesus and there's another one where a woman cries on the feet of Jesus. This is Martha after her brother Lazarus is risen from the dead. That's in John chapter 11. This is John chapter 12. She anoints his feet. And when she anoints it, this is a, well, listen to what he says and we can get an idea how, how expensive it is. It says, why was this very fragrant oil not sold for 300 denaries and given to the poor. That's what Judas said. She does it. He stands up and he says to her, why didn't you sell this for 300 denaries? A denaries is a day's wage for a soldier. If a soldier makes, I'm trying to think of the equivalent of what a soldier makes today. I probably shouldn't even take a stab at it. If a soldier makes 40,000 40, a year, it would be $35,000 for this perfume. 300 denaries. It's very expensive. And so he sees it and he's like, <gasps> what that could have done for me, what I could have done with that. And so he rebukes her. And the Bible says the rest of the disciples rebuked her as well. They jumped in. Yeah, Mary, we could have given that to the poor. Think of the poor that could be helped. Then, thus he said, not that he cared for the poor, that was a pretense, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it. Now think about this. Jesus knew that Judas was a thief and yet he made him the treasurer. Who would have been the, the one that you would go, I would have chosen him as the treasurer? Who's the likely candidate for treasurer? Matthew, the tax collector, right? He'd be the guy, Matthew, you've got experience here. We're going to make you our treasurer. But instead, he gave it to Judas, which was a weakness. This weakness could have done Two, gone two ways. It could have exposed his weakness. He could have repented from it. He could have done what he had to do to get rid of it. Or he could have used it as an opportunity. If you're struggling with something, God may bring you an opportunity to reveal to you what's going on. And it may cause you to end up falling. And so you've got to look at when something comes your way that you're struggling You've got to look at it and say, is this God really speaking to me? The fact that Jesus would give a thief the money box is so telling. And remember, when we look at Jesus, we see God. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten of the Father has revealed him to us. And so Jesus works in our life in that same way, I think. He could have repented. He could have changed, but he didn't. John 17, 12 tells us that he, uh, that his life was a waste. He had this great opportunity, but he wasted it. It says, while I was, uh, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. 
Those who you gave me I kept, and none of them are lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, two things that we have to deal with in this passage. First of all, that Jesus kept all of those who were not a waste. I've told you before that I'm not a Calvinist. I think that the idea that salvation is limited to certain people is unbiblical and cannot, cannot be supported. I think that it's the, le it's the weakest part of the Calvinist argument that Jesus is just, his salvation is not offered to everybody. It's weak because the Bible says it is offered to everybody. And they'll try to say it's offered to the elect only. But when the Bible says it's offered to the elect, it doesn't say only. It's, salvation is offered to the elect. Everybody that gets saved, it was offered to. But it says it was also offered to all. And Jesus died on the cross for all men. But when it comes to once saved, always saved, I've got to say, and, and we, we just covered Galatians, and you guys heard me him and haw in Galatians. I don't know. This sounds an awful lot like, you better be careful. You know, I just want to teach what the Bible says. I, I lean towards once saved, always saved. I lean towards when you have a real relationship with God, you cannot lose it. That's where I lean. Does that mean I can't be shaken out of it? No. Because I read some passages like I read in Hebrews and like I read in Galatians that make me go, this really sounds like God is saying. He, 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 Paul tells the Galatians, if you trust in the law, you have made the work of Christ no effect. It sure sounds like he's saying to this already saved person, if you're trusting in something else, you're making the work of Christ of no effect. It, and there's more passages like that. So I lean towards once saved, always saved for various reasons, which I won't cover today. But Jesus says, I've kept all those that were given to me. And if you are genuinely a Christian, I believe at the very least, it's really hard for you to walk away. Very, very hard at the very least. He'll leave the 99 and go after the one. But the other part of this is that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And here is where people kind of take on this whole new thing with Judas. They kind of go, well, Judas, Judas was, a, was kind of a hero. He was the anti-type that we have in, in heroes in movies today. He was helping Jesus. He was in cahoots with Jesus. And Jesus had to have a betrayer. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. And so Judas was just doing what God wanted him to do. But very, things are, very few things are black and white without any nuances. And so people will ask the question, was Judas predestined to betray Jesus? And here's my answer. Yes and no. Because things are nuanced. And Judas was a traitor, a betrayer. He was greedy and he would do it. And so God knew that he would do it. He knew who he was. He knew he wasn't really going to commit his life to Christ. And so God foretold it. God predestined it because he knew who he was. If Judas had been a different person, there would be something different written about him. He would have been one of the apostles and it would be different. You can't take Judas's responsibility away because God knew what he was going to do and wrote about it. And I'm going to go even further that God knew what he was going to do and predestined it because I do think that God predestined him to do this. But it was because of who he was. God knows who we are. The Bible says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. So you and I have good works that God has prepared for us beforehand, that's predestination, to, to work in. It doesn't mean he predestined you to be saved or predestined you to be lost. It means that he takes you to be predestined 
into the image of Christ that he's doing and works for you to walk in. <laughs> Whole another complicated topic of predestination that we will cover at another time, I promise. But um, he is the son of perdition. The scriptures did talk about them being fulfilled. This doesn't make him an anti-type hero. Doesn't make him, you know, a complicated hero, which people try to do. He is, well, we'll, we'll go on here. He's a betrayer. He has no loyalty to God. He has no loyalty to Jesus. And loyalty is one of those things that we need to have to God. We need to be loyal to him. Loyalty is a character that is very strong when we will be loyal to friends, family, and to God. I think it's a very positive thing. He had none of that. Mark 14, 43 through 45 says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him, and, they le and lead him away safe, to safely. As soon as he had come, he immediately he went up and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. This is hypocrisy. That he would say, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kiss him? Did he, was it possible that he didn't think that Jesus would know that he was the betrayer? Was this a show for the chief priests and the Sadducees? Either way, it's super ugly that he would come to Jesus with such piousness. If you genuinely loved Christ, you would never betray him in this way. You, you would hang your head in shame as you brought the people to arrest him. You would say, I'm sorry. You wouldn't walk up, rabbi, rabbi, and then kiss him in all piousness. I think this helps us to understand that Judas was putting on a show. It's interesting that he is, that Judas came from Cariot, which is in Judea. Judea is near Jerusalem. As far as we know, he's the only one of the 12 disciples that wasn't from Galilee. And maybe was better educated than all of these guys because people living in Judea were generally doesn't mean certainly, but genuinely, generally more educated than those in Galilee. And he betrayed Jesus with this piousness and with this just lack of loyalty. Again, there's something about loyalty to God that we, have, we have great loyalty towards him and his word. I find that people will give loyalty to denominations over God sometimes, to pastors or teachers over God sometimes, to false teachers over God sometimes. And, and when I'll talk about a false teacher, someone will come to me and they'll be angry with me that I talked to because I was, I went to their conference and it was really good. And I, I have the same line usually. If they're teaching false doctrine, why would you be loyal to them even if you were ministered to by them? No one has ministered to you the way that God has. And we should have loyalty towards his word, which is our authority. We test everything by. And loyalty to God. And yes, loyalty to the people that are around us. Yes, but loyalty to God overall, over everything. Loyalty to everyone that's close to us. It's a, it's, I said, it's a characteristic that we need to have, that we want in our friends. I want my closest friends to be loyal. I want, 
I want to be loyal to my closest friends. But I want loyalty to God over everything. That should be the highest. And Judas did not have that. That he would have this kind of hypocrisy, which is the next point. He was a hypocrite. He not only was a betrayer, lacked loyalty, but he was a hypocrite. When it says on Luke 22, 48, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That, that just showed his hypocrisy. He'd been pretending the whole time. It's as if he's trying to tell him, you have betrayed me with a kiss. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6, 64. I don't have this verse uh, for you guys, but let me just read it to you. But there are some of you who do not believe. So he's talking to his disciples. There's some of you who do not believe. And then it says this, a little commentary. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. From the very beginning, they knew that Judas didn't believe. So people who want to say, well, Judas was in cahoots with Jesus and Judas is in heaven. Maybe just go spend some time looking up all the different things that, that the Bible says about Judas because he didn't believe. And if you don't believe, you're not going to make it into heaven. Now, that's the main thing for us. The main thing is, is it a show for us? Are we putting on a show? Is it possible that you have gotten, committed your life to Christ, not because you really believed and committed your life to Him, but because it makes your life around you easier? Have you genuinely committed your life to Christ? This is the evaluation that we need to talk about. It's possible that we could try to look spiritual, look religious, look like we really love God when we don't because we gain from it. The problem is, is sooner or later that will be revealed. The Bible says that which is done in darkness will be revealed. And there is no salvation in pretending, but in sincerity. So let me give you these three things in closing. My three things disappeared. All right, let me try to remember what my three things are. That's crazy. All right. Uh, number one, maybe this will be what? Maybe God's just saying, stop talking now. You've gone too long. I'm going to take your three things away. Say one. All right, here it is. This is the one thing. One thing in closing. Make sure that you are sincere. Sincere. Truly serving God sincerely. You say, I sincerely love my wife. You're not, you're not pretending. You're not playing games. You're sincere. Judas wasn't sincere. Everything about him was fake. Everything about him was false. He wasn't sincere. Now, the word sincere in the Greek is an interesting word. It means to be revealed to the light. And it's connected to when they made statues in Greece. You'd work on a statue, you'd get a big piece of marble. You'd work on it for months. And then right at the end, you're working just, to, I just need to touch up that pinky toe. And just as you tap it, the pinky toe falls off. And you're like, great. No one's going to want to buy a statue without a pinky toe. Now I realize statues that we see in Greece all the time are missing all kinds of things. It's been a lot of years, okay? When they bought them, they weren't missing the head. They're just missing the head now. So they would take some, of the, 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 some wax and they would take some of the, the dust from the stone they're working with and mix it together so it was the same color. And then they would put the wax on then they put the pinky toe back on again. So that when you went in and bought it, you were like, beautiful statue. But you would ask the question, is it sincere? Is it tested by light? Maybe you'd say, let's move it out in the sun for a little while, see what happens. Move it out in the sun, you come back four hours later, there's the pinky toe. 
because the, the sunlight exposed that it wasn't sincere. The light will eventually, will eventually expose that you are not sincere if you're not. We will be tested by the light. And I want to I wanna be sincere. I can tell you that I evaluate my life as well. I don't want to be a pretender. Pastors can fall into that realm where they pretend and eventually are exposed. We see things happen. I think of Ravi Zacharias. I don't want to go into detail about what he did, but all the things that he was doing while he was standing up for God. We want to make sure we're sincere. Stand with you, would you, and let's pray together. No two other points. Father, thank you, Lord, for this very heavy message where we see Judas that was one of the disciples and there was a scandal. One of the disciples wasn't really following you. And Lord, I pray that there's another scandal that night too, and that was Peter. And Lord, I pray that we would evaluate ourselves now and if ever anything happens, we would repent and make things right. Lord, help us to not have the love of money, to not be un, lack loyalty or, or to, to be loyal, to be sincere so that we have that real relationship with you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.